0: It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Karpel and Your Golden Years.
1: Good
2: evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Karpel and Your Golden Years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on blogtalkradio.com and on com, and now also on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, August the 9th, 2020, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Karpel, and I'm coming to you live from isolation in beautiful Austin Texas, also very hot Boston, Texas, and I hope you're all staying safe and cool wherever you are. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us this evening as usual to make the show run smoothly, and we have a packed program in store. In a little while after the break, joining us from Corpus Christi, Texas, founder of the Cauliflower Collective, a group of jujitsu and wrestling enthusiasts who are focused on changing the lives of foster, adopted special needs children and at-risk youth and young adults living with trauma, Sergio Esquivel will be on the phone to tell us about this great organization. And then later in the program, the world-renowned cellist, Tanya Anisimova joins us once again from Washington, D.C. with some of her music and to let us know what she's up to during this time. And along the way, we'll hear from twins, Minerva and Ruben, in the Bay of Gandatas, Mexico, to fill us in on some travel spots in Mexico and safety issues with the coronavirus. Along the way, we'll, I will say a couple of words about reconnecting to our passionate selves during this time. And throughout the this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air. And the email address is drmara, D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarikarpel.com, D R M A R A K A R P E L. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website later this evening, and the link to the podcast will be posted along with any website links given by my guests on the show. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going to blogtalkradio, B-L-O-G, slash Your Golden Years, and you can also go to my page on Apple Podcasts. For information from previous programs to listen to all of the previous shows that we have done since we've been on Blog Talk Radio for the past six and a half years, go to my website, com, or you can go straight to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years, and all of the previous podcasts are also posted on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to find out what's coming up, a blog, any events, um, follow me on Facebook. And my Facebook page is Dr. Mara Carpel, Your Golden Years. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a brief break. Don't go anywhere because it's going to be very brief. And when we come back, we're going to be joined right here on the phone by founder of the Cauliflower Collective, Sergio Esquivel. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive there are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle. And in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Merrick Harpel and your Golden Years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com.
2: All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Merrick Harpel and your Golden Years. Right here on blogtalkradio.com and on DrMaricarpel.com, And now joining us on the phone from Corpus Christi, Texas, we have the founder of the Cauliflower Collective, which is a group of jiu-jitsu and wrestling enthusiasts who help young people dealing with trauma and at-risk youth through jujitsu and wrestling, Sergio Esquivel. Welcome, Sergio
3: Oh, thanks uh, for having me. I'm really excited, uh, Dr. Mara Corpel.
2: Yeah, thank you for being on the program. And I just want to let you know there's a slight delay when we speak like this, so it's just good to keep keep that in mind. Um, how are things going in Corpus Christi?
3: Um, well, things are going well. You know, um, specifically for our um, our organization, I just found out that we might actually. Be able to get a building where we're going to be able to host uh, various uh, activities for at-risk youth and start our program here. Great,
2: congratulations! Um, So, so maybe before we, you know, jump into the discussion about this, um, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and and what is the Cauliflower Collective?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, uh, man, okay, I'll start with when I first started this idea of uh, the cauliflower Collective, it was because um, I was a foster parent, okay? So we chose to foster, and mm-hmm. at the time I was doing jiu-jitsu, and, you know, things were going really well, and the, uh, the child we fostered, which we eventually adopted, um, he was five years old and he had been placed in seven homes by that age. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it was um, the, the things that he had to endure were, I mean, I don't know how a grown adult would be able to endure them, you know, both the, the physical and emotional abuse that he, uh, hmm. he was um, exposed to. And so what I did was I got him involved in jujitsu, and I just saw a different child on the mat. Like, it was remarkable. Like, his, his his confidence, his overall demeanor, his behavior, like, it changed. And I was like, wow, like, this is this is amazing. Like, this is mm-hmm. helping him, you know? And so I was like, ah, you know, maybe it's just, you know, just him. And then I, I saw it continue to grow. I was getting great reports from school, you know? And at that point, because uh, I actually owned the Jiu-Jitsu Academy at that time, I um, I opened up the program and I started bringing in uh, various foster youth and at-risk youth there in the local community, which was New Bern, North Carolina, at that time. And mm-hmm. I saw tremendous growth in all of the students that were participating in the program. And one thing we tried to do is we tried to um, ensure that all the kids were in the same class. So we didn't set like classes aside for them, you know, where you know, they could feel different or anything. Inclusion was very important to us. You know, um, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, Bessel van So, you know, inclusion is super important. Um, and Mm -hmm. we, we kept going with that and the program grew and we saw a tremendous amount of, um, growth in the local community there. And then, so I spent 20 years in the Marine Corps, um, so at that time, I had to leave. I had to uh, PCS over to uh, Hawaii, right? So I eventually mm-hmm. had to shut down the school, and I was really disappointed that, you know, we shut down the academy, but not for the reason from, like, a financial perspective, but more because the program went away, right? And we had seen so mm-hmm. much development, mm-hmm. so much growth from these kids. And so I was like, wow, you know what? Let's Why don't I just start a nonprofit and... Like, do it nationwide if possible. And that's what I ended up doing.
2: So where do you have uh, academies now?
3: So we work with various academies. So the idea is that we um, help the local community help the local community, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So that whatever efforts, time, energy that are placed by that local community, it gets redistributed right there in that same community. Um, so right now we're operating in three states: Hawaii, California, and Texas. All right, and what we do is we mm-hmm. provide services such as links and referrals to other agencies. We do a variety of community outreach and training, and then obviously we have the character-based martial arts training, um, and then we specialize in working with at-risk youth.
2: Okay, okay. So you know, I, you know, I mean, you're not a psychologist, but do you right. have any insight into why this is so effective with kids who are, are dealing with, uh, you know, a lot of emotional issues?
3: Um, I think so. Um, so I uh, I am pursuing my uh, bachelor's in social work, and we do have mm-hmm. um, okay. a um, – on our board of directors, we do have a social worker that completed her MSW, and she does – clinical work. Um, So for Mm -hmm. us, and and based off of the idea, it's that the concept that that Bessel uh, talks about all the time, as far as being able to feel safe with other people being one of the most important aspects of mental health, you know, and with that, you know, establishing safe connections, you know, that's going to satisfy the fundamental um, needs of a person. Right, so what happens is with a lot of the youth that we get, they're either displaced so many times that they really don't establish a good connection with um, some sort of adult or a prominent figure, someone that is responsible and accountable and is going to be consistent in their lives. Mm-hmm, hmm Yep. And so right. with that... We, um, we try to ensure that we help them establish those solid relationships, right? And real quick, I do want to touch on the relationships portion. Uh, we do provide mm-hmm. training to our um, our instructors and our staff to ensure that they can appreciate and understand, like, the challenges that these um, the youth are going through, right? So, you know, with it being wrestling and jiu-jitsu, you know, there's a, a lot of hands-on, but... The reality is we work with kids that have been displaced or, or at risk just because they're in a single parent home and all the way to those that are, um, that were sex traffic victims. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we try to be that social support and, you know, when we think of social support in our program and in our organization, we want to be more than just present, right. We want there to be, um, repre- um, we want to reciprocate, you know, all their, their needs and their wants with regard to being heard, being seen, you know, not them feeling as if they're kind of in the background.
2: Mhm. Right. So I would imagine, you know, since, uh, you know, jujitsu and wrestling is so hands-on and, and you're dealing with kids who might have some trauma around having hands-on mm-hmm. in other situations that there's, you know, that the, the the um, teachers would have to be trained at being trauma-sensitive, right? So are there different ways of of teaching?
3: Absolutely. So the the approach we take is it's really like a building block approach to it. Um, We take small steps in introducing the instructors. And, for instance, right now we are working with a couple of agencies, but the one that we're working with in – Hawaii, on Oahu, right, specifically works with uh, sex, tra- sex trafficked victims. And so mm-hmm. for those instructors, we have female instructors because predominantly okay. the the people that are there are female. You know, so we try and be very aware of, like, the needs of the students, right, mm-hmm. and we address them individually, right? So... Um, it's not just them learning how to wrestle or learning how to do jiu-jitsu. It's more of them establishing a community among themselves that's going to be consistent, right? And then working on mm-hmm. also values as we go through the program.
2: Mhm, mhm. Right. And I would imagine there's some, you know, uh, you know, as I'm thinking about it as you're talking, uh, that there's some benefit in learning to be, um, you know, agents of their own bodies and feeling strong in their own body.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we, we talk about it to them. Like, what ends up happening is, you know, they experience a variety of emotions while they're learning how to, you know, participate in wrestling and jiu-jitsu and our character-based program. And some of the stuff that they learned is, they really learn how powerful they are. It really builds their mm-hmm. confidence, especially, um, you know, we will take them to go see a tournament and they see young ladies like being able to, uh, you know, beat men and, you know, just it, it's very powerful to see the smaller person being able to not only just defend themselves, but actually win the match, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of the, the, thing that really appeals to um, our participants you know they're Mm -hmm. they're able to see I'll give an example I have um, one of the instructors she's probably about 115 pounds right and she easily easily can beat um, guys that are 180 200 pounds if they're untrained Mm -hmm. it's remarkable to Mm -hmm. see
2: wow it's not a matter of, you know, brute strength. <laughs> it's a matter of oh, no. like, knowing what to do.
3: It is. Yeah. And so, what happens is we teach them, um, you know, how to use leverage and really we focus on them being able to use uh, their opponent's body weight against them. You know, it, it's, it sounds almost like unrealistic, you know, to, to think that a smaller person could, um, could do this, but it really, really um, shows them like the strength that they have. It shows them how strong that they can be. Mhm,
2: mhm. So, so where are you planning to expand to? What's the, so now? You're you're going to be in in Corpus. It sounds like. Um, yes. Any other any other places that you're looking at to open up? or it sounds like you don't open up a specific school but you connect with a school is that is yes. that correct yeah okay
3: that, that is correct so what we do is first we connect with um local academies right local uh, wrestling clubs jujitsu academies judo academies right we mm-hmm. connect with them we provide them training right and then from there we contact um like local services right we contact various agencies And we say, hey, you know what? We have this program that's available. We can take one or two um, students at this academy. So if you have someone that lives in that neighborhood or nearby, you know, then we can get them in there and they'll go. We'll have um, our trained staff to go work with them and ensure that, you know, they're being trained properly, they're getting the moral support they need, and just the overall community support. So right now – we're working on that here in Corpus Christi in um, on Oahu, in Hawaii. We're actually working with Halilana Pula. You know, that I know that's a mouthful, um, <laughs> but we're working with, yeah. Every time I try and say those names, I uh, I always have a harder time. Um, okay. But we're also working with RISE. Um, so those are two established nonprofit programs. one of them focuses on homeless um, youth from the ages of eighteen to twenty four and the other one focuses on sex traffic victims. you know so mm-hmm. with us, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to stop that pipeline. you know so when we talk about at risk youth, that's such a broad category, but really what we're talking about is you know maybe being that that one thing that stops a child from either being placed into um, the foster system, right. Or stops that pipeline to um, human trafficking, you know, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we deal with people that are, you know, in single parent homes. And as we all know that, you know, that's the catalyst, you know, they're more likely to kind of suffer from some of these things. You know, mm-hmm. right now we looked at it. We have um, over 400,000 kids in foster care. You know, 200,000 American kids are sex trafficked annually. The average age is 12 wow. to 14. So these are all, you know, we we thought about it, right? Like how do we really stop things? How do we make a difference? So instead of trying to make mm-hmm. a difference on the back end, we're trying to make a difference on the front end, right? Mm-hmm. More of a prevention strategy. Right. So what we do Right. You know, with COVID-19, it kind of slowed us down, though. Um, Yeah, I was
2: going to ask what you're doing during this time.
3: Right. So what we do is we follow the uh, rules and regulations uh, that the the governors put out or the local uh, leadership puts out. We ensure that we do social distancing. So for some of our programs, we have to – we set up, like, a little block. We give them their six feet of distance, and then they're able to practice, like, on uh, dummies right? Okay. Um, Right. So so they're still getting the repetition in, but more importantly, what we're able to do is we're establishing a connection with them at that point. You know, Mm -hmm. we're showing up every time, you know, and for a lot of these kids, it's the only time they've ever had consistency in their life. You know, seeing Mm -hmm. that same instructor show up time after time after time, you know, and what we also do, you know, it's not just they do the jujitsu class or wrestling class and then, they leave, you know, they do the class. We do um, a lot of team building, you know, we'll do small mm-hmm. things that, you know, um, outings, we'll do um, like barbecues for them. We'll bring them food. If we see that they need supplies, we'll bring them some supplies. Like a lot of our um, our kids over at the uh, RISE program, which is the 18 to 24-year-olds that are homeless, you know, they need, you know, basic hygiene supplies. So, you know, we mm-hmm. we get them, we bring them what we can. Things like that.
2: Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like it's a good a good time to really work on the relationship issues and helping them with things like that even if you can't, you know, spar with each other.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's that's the biggest thing is just you know, we don't expect these kids to, like, to grow up and be champions, you know, or, you know, we're trying to make some elite team. Really what we're trying to do is we're trying to help the community, establish a community for the youth, right, and it be able to feed back to itself. You mm-hmm. know, so that's mm-hmm. why we go in, and instead of us opening up our own center, we contact those that are in there, right, that have already experienced that life. So their instructors, once they're trained, right, they live the same life. You know, they they came from the same areas, the same neighborhoods, so they're able to relate with the kids that are in our program.
2: Right, that's great. So, um, what recommendations would you or you know, um, yeah? I mean, it, I'm sure there are listeners who don't live where you have an open a studio that is that you're a part of. Um, what do you recommend for them? What do you recommend
3: for those listeners? So I would recommend that they contact us, right? And so they can contact me via email directly if they wanted to. And that's uh, Sergio Esquivel at cauliflowercollective.org. All right. And what we would do is we would reach out to their community and we would find um, a reputable academy and, we could start the process there with trying to get them going. If we could not um, establish a full-blown program, we would get them in the reputable academy, provide some training to the instructors there, and then we would cover their uh, tuition fees.
2: Okay. That's great. Um, All right. And if there are listeners who are, you know, not, they're not youth, they're not, you know, um, they don't have kids, who would fit into your program but want to be of help because they really like this idea? Um, what can they do to be of help to you?
3: Um, same thing, um, Doctor. If they could just email me and we will set them up with volunteer events, you know, and we'll help them, you know, be a change agent within their local community. And that's really like the premise of, you know, our approach to growing this organization yeah we want the local community to help the local community.
2: Mhm, mhm, okay. And if people want to learn more about cauliflower uh, collective, um what would be the best website for them to look at so they can find out more information?
3: They could actually they could find us on most social media platforms. Um, we have youtube, we have Instagram. We have uh, Facebook, and then we also have our website, which is cauliflowercollective.org. And so, real quick, I do want to touch on why we call it Cauliflower Collective. Um, yeah. So, the, <laughs> the reason why we call it Cauliflower Collective is because uh, wrestlers, judo players, jujitsu practitioners, um, we all tend to get cauliflower ear. Right? That's and what I thought. Of, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that was good.
2: the first and thing it, that popped into my head.
3: Right. And it's something that kind of like, you know, it's com- almost like a badge that we wear and like you see someone with cauliflower ear, and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, he trains, you know, okay. And you you can strike <laughs> up a conversation with them really easily. And, you know, we're like, man, you know, most people that I, I spoke with, you know, that, you know, wrestled or, or do judo or jujitsu, they all, i say the majority, right. Want to, uh, to help the youth, especially in their local communities, mm-hmm. so I was like, mm-hmm. "That that's it." Cauliflower Collective. You know, we're not just jujitsu people or judo people or wrestling people. You know, we're a, a group of enthusiasts that want to make real change in the community before it becomes a problem. Hmm.
2: Hmm. Well, that's a wonderful idea. I really like. I really like that idea. What you're talking about, and it sounds like you're having a lot of success, which is fantastic. So, yeah, um, we're,
3: I'm gonna go on. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're we're very fortunate to uh, receive a lot of support, especially in the areas where we're working right now. So we have a tremendous amount of support on the Hawaiian Islands. Um, they've they've been remarkable academies. Um, people that don't even do jujitsu, uh, various people in the local government really supporting our program, so it's been wonderful.
1: Mhm, mm-hmm.
2: Well, I'm going to post that information that you, the contact information and how people can can find out more, on my website post about this show. So later tonight, people just click on it on the on my website and on this the post at the show and they'll get all those links that you just described. Um, thank you so much for being on the program and, and best of luck to you. Let me, you know, stay in touch. Let me know what happens and, and where you grow to next.
3: Absolutely. And once again, thank you for having me on, on the program. I really appreciate this opportunity to share our mission to, you know, try and help the youth here in America.
2: Yep, it's a great mission. Well, you take care now and uh stay safe.
3: Yep, likewise.
2: Okay. All right. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a brief break. Um don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com
2: all right and we are back if you're just joining us this is Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on com. and um, uh, I love what um, Sergio was talking about with the cauliflower collective and it sort of leads into um, the topic that I'm going to discuss for just a little while before we go to the twins in Bay of Bandados, Mexico, and then on to the music and my interview with the world-renowned cellist, Tanya Anisimova. Um, So I was, today I was um, reading, you know, I have this book of Daily Encouragements by Daiseku Ikeda, who is the, um, pre- the president of the Buddhist organization um, Soka Gakkai, which is a Japanese and worldwide organization, and they're always very inspiring. And so I um, looked at today, August 9th, and I thought, wow, this is a really perfect topic to discuss. And what he wrote, very it's a very brief um, uh, encouragement today, and it says, the course of our lives is determined by how we react, what we and what we do at the darkest of times. The nature of that response determines a person's true worth and greatness so i you know I talk a lot about compassion and generosity and um, and it sort of fits for that because I was thinking about you know. I wanted to talk about creating passion during this dark time, particularly dark time that we're all experiencing, or most of us are experiencing. Um, so, how do we act? How do we react to this? This really, this is a really important time. How we react right now really makes a difference in our own spiritual growth and who, who we are. When we look back and, and ask ourselves, how did I react during that time? Did I help people? Was I just focused on myself? Was I mean? Was I kind? Um, it's really it's going to be really important. And it's really important for how we, um, we're not alone on this planet and i know here in the united states it's very focused on being independent and everybody each person for themselves but the fact of the matter is yes it's it's not good to be dependent on everybody for we're not dependent on everybody for our happiness but we really are interdependent and that we can't escape that we are interdependent so the reason that we are all you know, trying to avoid this virus is because it spreads from person to person. And we are not only dependent on ourselves to to stay safe, but we're depending on other people to do the right thing to keep us safe. So that's an example of the interdependence. So the quickest way, and I've talked about this before, Um, The quickest way to find passion, so many people are talking about how they feel just depressed and they feel, and that's natural. Um, We're in a very difficult time, but uh, people are feeling like they're standing still. They don't know what to do to get themselves out of this place. And the quickest way for us to connect passion, to reconnect to our joy and passion is to, Look at how we're responding to this dark time and turning it into something really meaningful. What can we do? As I wrote, I wrote in my own book, and it was actually a quote that I heard somebody else say. Um, we can wake up every morning and ask ourselves these two questions: What can I do to bring joy and light into the world? what can I do to bring light into this dark time for other people? And then what can I do to bring light into the world for myself? And usually if we start with other people, by the time we look at how we can do it for ourselves, we've discovered that by, by bringing light into the world for other people, we have already brought it into the world for ourselves. So, and, and the reason that I say this just fits very neatly with what Sergio was talking about, his whole program is based on helping other people, helping kids who are at risk to have a better life and, you know, putting it out there for other people who want to volunteer, who want to be part of that in creating a better, better life, a better world for these children. And there's so much satisfaction from doing that, from doing anything that brings light into the world, from, for somebody else to prevent suffering in the world, creates a lighter world for us to live in, and brings joy for us. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not a um, or a them a, a them or me attitude. It's both. We're interdependent. And how we feel is both contingent on how we take care of ourselves but also how we take care of other people. So, you know, for example, bringing some light into the world might be a creative action that we share with other people, like music or a paint, painting, showing people paintings, writing for other people to enjoy. Those are really Um, those bring joy into other people's lives. That brings light into the world. And at the same time, when we do those things, when we engage in something creative, it brings joy and light into our own lives. And then it's like a feedback loop. When we bring it into other people's lives, it makes us feel good. So I've spoken about that, I've written about that many times that there is actually a chemical reaction that occurs when we do something for somebody else where it increases our serotonin level, which is the, the, our mood, the mood chemical that helps us to feel happy and helps us to sleep better, and it increases endorphins, which are those feel-good chemicals that boost their mood in the moment And they also um, decrease physical pain. So uh, there's actually a a real chemical reaction that occurs when we help other people. So we can also do it with acts of generosity and kindness. Being a volunteer um, in a program like the one, like the Cauliflower Collective, or some other group that you feel drawn to, that you want to help, volunteering to help people in some way. Um, donating. If you have the means, then donating some money. There are a lot of people right now who are really struggling financially, and if you are not struggling financially, then you can help other people by donating to different organizations, donating to somebody who you know is struggling um, volunteering at a food bank, and even small things, like even wearing a mask, making your decision that even if you're not afraid of catching the virus, that you're going to wear a mask to protect your neighbors because some of your neighbors might get sick and might get really sick if they catch it. So you're going to wear a mask to be part of the the attempt to um, lower the numbers and not and making a decision to be friendly and kind to people. When you go to the supermarket, to be kind to the cashier because they're dealing with a lot of stress. People are really taking out their stress on, on people who work in stores. They're the essential workers, and people are taking their stress out on them. So even making a decision to be kind to them, to be kind to everybody that you interact with, is an act of generosity, an act of kindness, and can bring light into the world. Connect with someone who is isolated. Give them a call, video chat, send a, an, an uplifting email, go to an, up uh, you know, have an, a socially distanced visit with somebody. And then... It becomes a little easier then to ask, how can I bring light into my own life? Well, often the answers are the same as they were for question one. If you're doing something to help other people, very often it's already bringing light into your life. It's bringing meaning and purpose into your life. And that in itself gives you the reason to get out of bed in the morning. Um, Also taking care of yourself, doing all the basics, exercising, eating right, get out in nature, go for a walk in nature, meditate, read something uplifting and inspiring, watch something funny or read something funny because that lifts our mood almost immediately. Um, Again, being creative, connecting with people also is uplifting to us. So, you know, bringing light, during this dark time is one of the most meaningful acts that we can do. And to do that, we need to also replenish ourselves with daily bringing light into our own lives. And and when we do this, when we make that our, our meaning, then we no longer have that feeling of standing still because we're not standing still, and this moment counts. It counts. We haven't taken a break from life. It might feel that way, but this moment actually counts. All right. So now we're going to play a little music from art about Mexico. We're going to go to the interview with the twins, Ruben and Minerva, about Bay of Banderas. And then we're going to speak to Tanya Anisimova, the world-renowned cellist, and play some of her music. So here we go. All right. Hola! Hola! How's everybody been? I understand that you had some storms down there recently.
4: Everything has been great. Yes, the weather has been different. It has been raining very hard at night. There's actually a storm approaching from the south, so we may get much more rain during the next day.
2: Hmm. Is this rainy season? Yes. Okay, okay. So, when will school start down there? And um, is the coronavirus making changes?
4: We start school August 24th, but it will be only online classes for now.
2: Good. Okay, good. Good. So you'll be safe. So what city are you going to talk about today?
4: Bucerías. Bucerías meaning place of divers is Small beach research town in the state of Nayarit on the stretch of Mexico's Pacific coast, known as the Rivera Nayarit. It's located between the towns of Nuevo Vallarta and La Cruz de Guanacaxle in the Bay of Banderas. There is a crocodile sanctuary in A Cora crocodile sanctuary was named for change your concept of wildlife through knowledge and close experiences that will make your hair stand on end. <laughs> the goal is to transmit the love for what surrounds us and the importance of conserving if you are guided to by conservation and rehabilitation of the sanctuary.
2: So, Ruben, is Bucereas a good place to surf?
1: It's not a good place to surf. You can always surf there when there is a big swell. Hmm. Okay.
4: There are many kinds of tours, from culture tours, bike tours, hiking, and more. There is also a square where everyone goes, and it's surrounded by galleries, restaurants, and more.
2: All right. Sounds really nice. So yes. next time, you're going to tell us about La Cruz. How do you say the last word of, the, of that name?
4: The Guanacaste. La
2: Okay. We'll be waiting. Adios and stay safe. Hello. Hello. All right. We were Hello. just listening to the beautiful. Can you hear me, Tanya? Yes, I can hear you quite well. All right. Mm-hmm. I just want to let everybody know who you are. We were just listening mm-hmm. to your beautiful music, and I'm speaking with Tanya Anisimova, who's joining us once again from Washington D.C. Welcome, Tanya. Thank
5: you. Uh, thank you, Mara. It's really good to hear your voice again. And uh, yeah. I've been enjoying the conversation before me of <laughs> the youngsters oh, oh, from Mexico. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, I have yes. a, a connection with that country but because my first cello teacher, the one who taught me from the very, very, very beginning, Maestra Zoya Kamishiva, she actually moved to Mexico from the former USSR in the early 70s of the last wow. century and then since then actually uh since I moved to the US later on I actually went to Mexico to perform at least five times now that I can remember at least five times that I oh, was wow. there what an amazing country uh, played in Morelia in Mexico City in um, mm-hmm. Veracruz and all these different uh, towns, some are big, some are small, and uh, Oaxaca is another amazing place. Yes. But the world is now seems like like it's it's getting smaller. But it um, is because we're older. sitting, we're sitting at our screens here, and so we can, at the top of our hand, we can see China, or we can see the the Far East, or Australia, yes. and it seems <laughs> like we're there.
2: <laughs> yeah, but
5: it's uh, really uh, quite uh, interesting time.
2: So, so Tony, mm-hmm. um, Art just told me that your your dad just celebrated his 80th birthday. Oh. Uh,
5: it's uh Can you hear me well? I can hear you. Yep. Okay, great. Um, it's actually not quite true. My dad, who actually just left uh, our house with uh, we they and his wife, and he they came for a uh, um, uh, for a visit. He will be 80 next year. Uh, oh, okay. But <laughs> my husband. But my husband is one year uh-huh. older than my dad. So my oh, husband wow. turned eighty years uh, last Sunday. Uh, my wow, husband happy is, uh, is an. Uh, thank you, thank you, Mara. Uh My husband is an artist painter, and he's mm. um, uh, he he's uh, work have quite a uh, many years between us, but uh, we're kindred spirits. So this yeah. year doesn't really mean anything.
2: That's no. right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, so what are you doing these days? Um, you know, the world has mm-hmm. changed since we spoke to you last. Um,
5: tell me about it.
2: So, <laughs> so, what's happening in in the music world
5: with for you, uh, Mara, It's really it's um it's too real. <laughs> it's totally uh-huh. surreal. You would sure. think that things could shut down because she. I was just discussing it with my dad. Who is uh, he's a distinguished professor at University of Maryland here in um, in uh, you know College Park, and he says mm-hmm. I'm teaching online. I'm sick and tired of just sitting and and, and staring at my computer, but uh, all these meetings and all these students and seminars and no one in in a flesh. It's always like that. And I'm thinking, you know what? Right. Uh that is that is difficult and I'm now with my students I also communicate with them online. But mm-hmm. it's interesting how many since March when it started, how many new works I have uh practiced how many old forgotten works which I used to play I remembered Mm. and how many new little um, uh, videos I uploaded to my uh, social media and people have been following those and uh, we were discussing Uh those so it seems like music is or art you know my husband is continuing to paint and showing Mm -hmm. uh, his paintings online it's art is it's like water it'll always find a way So if you are an artist, there will always be someone, and if it's shared via social media or you speak or or play uh, on the radio, like right now we just played my music, which is uh, from actually that performance took place years ago in Moscow, Uh, Mm -hmm. and that that was a a live concert. That that Adonai piece right. I premiered in Moscow, and I was thinking, okay, it was then, but then it's now it's reliving itself, and people are listening to different ears That's are listening right. to it. Yeah, can you, I was like because I was
2: Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, can you talk about that piece that we just played, Adonai? Hmm? Adonai. Yes, that piece uh,
5: was inspired by my teacher, my teachers, and. Uh, one of my amazing teachers, who is thank God still alive, because some of my teachers have gone into a better world. Mm-hmm. But this uh, teacher uh, taught me at the Master Conservatory, and his name is Igor Gabrish. He is an amazing uh, cellist and winner mm-hmm. of Pablo Casals competition in his days, Grand Prix. And when I was pre- pre- yeah, I was preparing to go to uh, do a tour in Russia. Uh, I thought I would love for him to perform this piece. And I wrote this for him and back in 2006. And uh, he said, you know, Tanya, I, really, I played a few excerpts for him. And he said, you know what, why don't you do it first as a composer? Why don't you premiere it first? And then I will learn it and I will play it uh, with different orchestras here. That's the way it happened, actually. Mm-hmm. But the piece, the the um, under-title of the piece reads uh, "Adonai." This is the personal mm-hmm. aspect of uh, Yegova And uh, Adonai, if you sit by the right side of me, all the enemies will kneel before you. And basically, mm-hmm. this piece is uh, something. It has something. It it has. I hope to that it. Uh, um, it's heard in the music, and I'm inviting people to to listen to the full piece. Uh, it's on my Sufi Soul CD. If they are interested, it's available on iTunes and everywhere on the internet. The piece mm-hmm. is about 15 minutes long. The piece actually, when I was writing it, I was just thinking about my teachers. So, as a composer, I can say that I can now talk after fact. The things that I hear about, I hear them now. But I guess when I was writing, I didn't quite think about it. it just it's just I materialized. But I think that the piece is about our nature. Who are we? Are
1: mm-hmm.
5: we? Are we bones and flesh and senses, or are we something else? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, mm-hmm.
5: Are we? What are we here for? Are we here to produce children and pass uh, whatever little we know to them? Hopefully they will learn from our mistakes and will be gone. Or are we here for a little bit for a different purpose? Or maybe more than one purpose? What are we here for? Mm -hmm. And to me, we're here to learn about who we are. And I think that the Mm -hmm. music, among other arts, maybe helps us understand who we actually are. And sometimes it right. cannot even be expressed in words. And uh, as we know, when the words stop, music begins. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. your
2: question at all. But well, it's a very true. Sp- I figured it was a very spiritual piece by the title, because <laughs> um, that is the well, that is the that is the Jewish prayer. Yes, I deny. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, um, so. So it sounds like you're you're really creating during this time, and um, I'm wondering mm-hmm. in, um, how listeners can can. You said that some of your CDs are on iTunes. Are there other ways that people can watch you perform through the internet? Yes, they, there's a YouTube channel, Tanya Nisimova YouTube channel. Um,
5: I uploaded uh, a live stream concert that we did for Father's Day. You can hear it there now. And plus, I will be doing more live stream concerts. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they just should visit my YouTube channel or uh, go to Facebook and um, uh, follow me on Facebook, Tanya Nisimova, Cellist Composer. I will be uh, sharing the news about all the other things that I will be doing and plus, I'm trying now to not to disappoint my followers. And almost every day, I'm putting a little bit of something there, either a short improvisation that I do on a piano, just inspired by the moment, or uh-huh. a Bach, Bach uh, movement from one of his solo works for cello. Also, okay. you know, I became famous first when I transcribed Bach amazing his works for violin solo, partitas and sonatas for violin. One of them is a the famous chacon, chacon for violin. It was such a famous, mm-hmm. piece, such an amazing piece by Bach that when Brahms, uh, a wonderful German composer, Brahms heard that piece, he said, I would go mad if I would go. About something like that, I would probably just lose my marbles. <laughs> so what he did, is he actually transcribed it for piano. He didn't do much; he just basically played whatever Bach wrote for a violin. He played it with one hand on a piano, with the left hand. Wow! Uh, wow! Yes, and then of course there were other, other people, uh, Busoni. That was amazing, Gertuso, from the early 20th century, who made a different transcription more. A monumental transcription for piano that piece uh, for violin song. But what I did, I ah. did it on a cello long before anybody did it. I did it in the mid-90s first. And then since mm-hmm. then, I'm performing that piece. And then I decided to record all of my transcriptions of complete six sonatas and partitas on, on a CD. And uh, okay. now I'm planning um, to come back to that project uh, because it's about 20 years since I've done it. I've done it. And I would like to do it again because now I think it will be more interesting for me to do them 20 years later. Yeah. Um, So I'm doing little bits of those, like little spoilers. I'm doing them on, I'm putting them on my Facebook uh, pro page.
2: Okay. And the Facebook page um, is Tanya Nisimova, cellist Composer, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put a link to that and your website on my Mm -hmm. post on my, on my website mm-hmm. about this show so people can go there later and they can just click on it. Lovely. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tanya, for coming on to the program again. Um, it's my safe. pleasure, Mara. Yeah. Thank stay you. safe. And, and I hope to speak with you again soon.
5: Me too. And I wish you the yes. same.
2: Please stay safe. And
5: uh, it's good to hear your voice. As last time, it's very vibrant and youthful, and infused with a very positive uh, energy. So (laughs) continue
2: (laughs) to stay that way, please. (laughs) You too, you too, and that's the Dania. The Dania, ma'am. Alright, bye bye. Bye bye. All right. So I'm gonna. That was really wonderful. But I'm gonna. uh, We're gonna have to go. So let me let everybody know what is going on. Um, the next couple of weeks before Art knocks us off the air. So for the next two Sundays, we'll be off and we'll be playing two of our most recent favorite shows as encores. And then will they're all our favorites, by the way. Then we'll be back on Sunday, August 30th with another live show. And at that time, we'll be joined by Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author Robert Glazer. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from the program, get the links that we talked about on the program, go to my website, Maricartel.com, and all of that will be posted later tonight. Also, you can hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes from now by going to blogtalkradio, B-L-O-G com slash your golden ears, or you can go to Apple Podcasts, and it'll be there in five minutes. Also, for future events, follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpel. Your Golden Years. This show was produced by Complex Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And special thanks to my guests, Sergio Esquivel, Tanya Anisimova, Minerva and Ruben in Mexico. And of course, thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night, and inspiring couple of weeks. And remember, youth have no age. Good night, everyone.